Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hey, what's happening, Archons? Welcome to yet another episode of Help from Future Self, a casual Keyforge podcast between Keyforge pals. My name is Scuzzy Groon, but you can call me Alex, and I am joined, as always, by my Keyforge compadres. It's the Wheeling Keyforger, Rick. Hey. And Coach Boulevard Paper Fight, Blake. Hey, everyone. How's it going? And guys, I think I witnessed like some 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 Keyforge mojo uh, on our casual game on Monday night. We decided we were just going to get together, play a little casually, have some fun at the store, try out some different stuff. And you guys did a trade where, Blake, you got a hot deck and Rick, you got some hot decks in return. I did. I just wanted to bring that up because actually having played one of the decks or I think all three of the decks that were involved with it, it was like a power trade. It was huge. Yeah, it was. Uh, well, I'm, I was basically on the hunt. I noticed I needed another deck to complete my triad that I'm going to be bringing to Vegas. Since I have a link to Rick's collection, I was able to kind of peruse what he had. And I saw he had this one deck that was like, oh, this kind of actually fits the the hole in my uh, in my triad. So uh, this would be the perfect uh, third deck to complete the trio. And uh, in return, I had to come up with some spicy offers for Rick because it was, um, I would say, in the top five of his deck. So it was definitely up there for him. And so I, I had to kind of think about how am I going to get a deck that's going to interest Rick. And I was like, am I going to have to use money for this? Or maybe <laughs> do I just have uh, some decks that fit his playstyle? So I actually sent him, um, I think it was, was it three or four options? Uh, actually, it was five. Five options, yeah. Not including the money, though. So four options. Okay, four and, options. Yeah, it was four decks. And I chose decks specifically on uh, the player I knew Rick was and what he liked to do. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. And let me ask you, Rick. Yeah. When you saw the list of decks that came to you in exchange for this deck that you were you were offering up to Blake, what were you looking for amongst the decks that he offered to you? Were you looking for something competitive? Were you looking for something fun? Were you looking for something that suited your play style? Was there a specific set of cards? Or were you just sort of going by instinct and feeling over sort of what was sitting in front of you on the screen? Actually, it was a combo of all of the above because I was looking for something competitive in, in Chainbound. I was looking for something that's fun to play because I want to play it a lot. And each of those offerings that Blake made, everything hit, but some did obviously hit more than others. I was looking into the houses. I was looking for a couple of cards that I really liked in those houses, but more I was just looking for fun and competitive, which again, all of it, all my criterias were hit on every option, which made choices tough i kind of also like i know the houses that rick really enjoys so i didn't bother like there were some other good decks and i didn't bother even showing them because i knew the type of deck and houses he enjoys playing so i just kind of catered to that to so that if we did a trade i wanted rick to feel good about it because i knew i was taking a really good deck in the in this trade and so i didn't want to have anything that there was any sort of feeling of being slighted if anything i wanted rick to feel like he came came ahead in the trade <laughs> I do want to say the minute I got that deck, I opened it. I looked at it. I knew it was too complicated for me. I'm like, this is a coach deck. He needs <laughs> to pilot this. He needs it in his hands. Yeah, I, I literally remember Rick. This was like he opened this, I think, in like you opened it in June, didn't you? Or something like that. I don't remember exactly when I opened it. You messaged me right away. And you're like, and you're like, I think you're going to want this deck. So uh, he was pretty spot on with it. Yeah. 
That's what I like to hear. Two Keyforge pals who know each other's tastes in Keyforge to the point where they can kind of help each other out and uh, have a mutually beneficial kind of trading experience. It, it's been a really cool week, actually, for, uh, I think, good deals in the realm of Keyforge. You guys worked out a little deal. Last week, I picked up a deck on eBay that looked pretty good, and upon getting it, it was absolutely, like, mind-boggling how good and fun and competitive it was. Um, and it was literally just somebody had it on eBay for 10 bucks sealed, um, super generic listing. They were in Quebec and they had like 10 other decks they posted at the same time. I assume they're like a game store or somebody else who just had some of the product and was looking to blow it out as fast as possible. And like, I'm taking this thing to Chainbound. I'm taking this thing, like if I have to ever do like Triad Archon or anything like that, I'm bringing it with me because it is one of those decks where like even against better decks, it has a chance to win because of its speed and its tool set. Um, specifically uh, within old school untamed that rush slash mimicry combo, which nice. uh, we all know so very well because we've all lost to it a lot of times, and it is a ton of fun to play. Um, oh, low definitely. creature count, which is interesting, I think. Um, and it does have the feeling of that classic rush deck of just like I don't care what happens with my board. I don't care if all my guys get wiped out every turn. I don't care if you build a huge board against me. The one thing that really does seem to blow it out is, of course, if you run up against a grump buggy deck. But, uh, mm. you know, it has some tools to manage that as well. So interesting stuff. Gentlemen, it's been a little while since we've talked over under. And I wanted to bring one up this week because I played out. Uh, Weirdly enough, coincidentally enough, two different sealed games on the Crucible with this particular card, and now I want a deck with it so badly because it overperformed to a ridiculous degree. Are you gentlemen familiar with the card Shadow of Dis from the Age of Ascension? Oh, yes. I've played against it numerous times. I don't know if I own it, but I will check. All right, so I, here's the deal. I love it. Shadow of Dis is a dis action. Gives you a pip of amber for playing it, which is, you know... Almost a slap in the face to your opponent when when you get that extra little juice out of playing Shadow of Dis. And what it says is, and this is the reason why it overperforms, until your next turn, enemy creatures' text boxes are considered blank except for traits. So, when I first saw this card in like a spoiler or in a deck list or something else like that, I didn't realize that it was until you, the person playing its next turn. So my first thought was, oh, cool. It wipes out all my opponent's um, taunts and elusives and triggers uh, for destruction. Um, what I didn't realize is that is also the same thing when it comes to uh, cards that are being played by your opponent, like play effects are affected by this. Um, any kind of like skirmish or other like fight abilities that your opponent's creatures have are affected by this. So not only are all the destruction triggers and everything like that or steal on destroy anything like that. It basically makes all creature effects null and void across the board for you until your next turn. It's insane. It is so easy to use it to facilitate um, wiping out things that are protected by taunt and, uh, you know, uh, the things that get bonus armor from like, uh, you know, Obad of the Armor or Ixlix a Fixed Finger. You know, it's it's bonkers how good it is. And especially in the Age of Ascension, when we all know that a huge part of AOA is the way that your board is put together is by having creatures that benefit one another sitting next to them, your Archimedes and so on. This is the one tool that completely obviates that. There is no response to this. Once it gets played, they have to live with everything being the way it is until you play again. So throughout your entire turn after you play it and throughout their entire turn when they're playing against you, 
I love it. I want a deck with it real badly now. Three if preferable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good one. I've I've had some fun experience with that. I, I only have two decks with it. Uh, one of them was in a chain bound was the first time I got to experience it. And it was so much fun. It just, you can just wreck people. Like they set up a board that has all these great little uh, word words on their cards that really benefit them. And then you suddenly just get rid of them. And if you've got a good enough board with big bodies, you can just swing into it basically and, and wipe it out without any consequences. It's a great way of dealing with uh dusk witch. I find. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, I just, uh, it is, uh, and nobody's really talking about it, but I feel like as just a general, like, Swiss Army knife kind of card to have in your deck, I would never be unhappy to see it, you know? True. And I'm almost at the point now where I, I feel like um, there's a rating system for Keyforge cards that is not related to the power of Keyforge cards. It's related to the, would I always be happy to see this in a deck? So if we use yeah. let's 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 pick a card out of a hat, like just to to compare this to. Um, let's pick uh, Stampede from uh, the first set. Um, you know that is not a card I'm always happy to see because it is so situational. I think yep. I've maybe got to work like three times in all the times I've ever played with it. This, on the other hand, is a card that I'm always happy to see because I always know there's going to be a scenario in which it will prove to be useful. Maybe not in every single game will I get the opportunity to play it optimally, but it is always going to be a card that is going to have some utility in some way. And that's really cool. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, it's it 100% has that utility. And and the timing of it too can be... Uh, that's I think I think it is a skill card. I don't, I don't think you can just play it any time where if you get it early in game, it can be a kind of feels bad moment. You almost want to mull it. Um, out of your hand if you open up with it because you know it's not going to put in a ton of work unless they have something like I mean even then yeah you're, you you kind of want to see a situation where you can really take advantage of it because it can just wreck like if, if someone has a bunch of dust imps out and you just put that out suddenly you kill their dust imps and they get zero benefit for it yeah exactly like and that's one of the things about it is that you know, I keep using the word utility, but that's really how it strikes me. There are mm -hmm. so many different applications for this thing. And the fact that it affects creatures as they're being played is is bananas, right? Oh, like, totally. uh, you know, somebody throws out their, uh, you know, they, they throw out a card. Urchin, anything. Exactly, yeah. Ronnie yeah. stops all those. The only thing it doesn't stop is Silvertooth. Yeah, exactly. Good old Silvertooth, the backbone yeah. of so many Shadows <laughs> decks. Yes, it is. Gents, we got to play a new format at Chainbound this past week at Magic Stronghold here in Vancouver. We played a format that we uh, had discussed previously on the podcast, Modified Adaptive or Short Adaptive. The quick rundown for this one is that everybody has a deck. You have two minutes to examine your opponent's deck, and then you bid chains if you both want to play the same deck. So essentially, the way we were working it was everybody takes a couple minutes to look at their opponent's deck list. Then you declare via having a uh, key, either forged or unforged, underneath your Archon card, whether you want to play my own deck forge side up or my opponent's deck forge side down and if you both want to play the same deck then you had to go to chain bidding gents did you do a lot of chain bidding during the event um yes i got to do it a couple times well half the time but we also did it in a sealed format just to make it uh oh, yeah 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 to, to even the playing field we thought it'd be the test was to try it uh in sealed context so that if you did happen to open up a deck that was less than stellar you still had a chance to use your opponent's deck and uh, play with some sauce instead, which added another skill element of being able to evaluate 
your opponent's list in comparison to yours. Yep, most definitely. I did the uh, chain bidding again in half of my rounds. Um, the first round, actually, I played against you, Alex, mm-hmm. and I totally, totally miss misthought what you would do. I thought you would want my deck, but anyways, that was a fun game. <laughs> um, Your deck was really good. Wait, so, it, so are you saying that that you chose Alex's deck because you knew? No, I chose my deck. Oh, thinking, thinking he would also choose it yeah. and you'd go to chains. Okay. Yeah, and I was prepared for that. My second round, I played against June, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. a friend of ours from our local scene. I played my deck. She played hers. I thought the deck was better than than it actually might have been, but I don't really know. Rounds three and four, I gave my deck away for chains that I thought might bring it down. Round four, I gave it away for 10 chains, and it still Woo! completely wow. destroyed me. So I don't know what this chains level would be on this deck. It's, a, it's an interesting one because I think there's a philosophy for playing this style of adaptive that says if I'm playing four rounds with this deck, maybe it's worth it for me to always try and take it, even if I end up eating like three or four chains on it, because those are the scenarios in which I will at the very least get to know the deck over four games as opposed to having to adjust to a new deck on the fly. Yeah. I think that that's a philosophy that you could actually like, I, I, I don't think that's wrong, right? Um I am super fascinated to hear what your philosophy was on chain bidding, Blake. Like, were you always in the cases where you bid for chains? Is it because you thought that the other deck was going to be way better? Or is it because you wanted to drive up the cost of that deck for the person playing it? Or was it a combination of both? Um, well, so for me, I played my own deck round one. Second deck, I played my own deck, but my opponent also wanted my deck. So I got it for eight. Uh, that one was kind of, I was kind of thinking, I saw his deck and I knew it was not going to be uh, cutting the mustard, so to speak. Mm-hmm. So I knew I needed my deck and it was just a matter of figuring out what that threshold was. Uh, the one great thing about my deck, and I was familiar with playing this style of deck, is it has a lot of ability to archive and draw. So as a result, it basically allowed me to play with chains and not have to worry about it because I could store things for later. My hand was never being clogged where I wasn't getting the draw out. So I didn't mind playing with a lot of chains. I think if I went to, uh, if I had to go to power level three where I'm drawing three less cards, that's when I think I would have been in a situation where I may not be as willing to play it. And then the loss I took was against the champion, Jonathan, JD10 chains. Um, which you and I both, that's the only game I think we both lost was yep. to him, who was the champion. And his was the only time where I I really had trouble deciding to not take my deck. Like, and I took my own deck and I knew afterwards I made a mistake. When he, like, I was hoping he was going to go for my deck and I, and I went for my deck too. And then I wanted to give it to him with some chains because uh, I saw his deck was really good. So I really regret not taking his deck. I, as afterwards, I was like, I don't know if I made the right choice choosing my deck in this situation. A hundred percent agreed with you. I think I should have taken his deck as well, especially where I knew that it was going to be something that was going to be hard for my deck to get past. I think mm-hmm. I was hoping against hope that I would have it. The big issue that we have is that he was playing an AOA big board deck 
and that was absolutely going to wreck my stuff. Um, the deck that I pulled for this event is actually a lot of fun. I really dig it a lot. It's called Mega Virus, the Roboticist Specialist, which is a great name, although it does not have any logos or Mars in it. So no robots, <laughs> so to speak. So I guess it's a specialist at fighting robots. Um, Maybe. But it has three different interesting things about it in my mind. Um, it's a Plague Rat deck with three Plague Rats, which is nice. It's a nice, soft board clear. It's also got Brend the Fanatic so that you can use that, uh, the Plague Rats, to take out Brend, which is really cool. Um, also within Shadows, it's got Life for a Life as a way of taking care of Brend, as well as Miasmas to stop people from forging. That's all well and good. Uh, on top of that, it also is a, a deck that has the Ganger, Chieftain, and uh, uh, Drummer Knot combo, which I got off a couple of times over the course of the event, which was a lot of fun. Probably not fun to sit across from as I mentally, like, you know, count off how many times I've used each card to make sure that I'm not breaking the rule of six um, to the point where I actually had to get one of our, our uh, the tournament organizer to help me to make sure that I wasn't uh, breaking the rules. During um, round one. During round one. <laughs> my first time ever doing it live and in person. And then finally, this weird combo, which is, of course, not going to work if your opponent has big fat bodies across from you, but I've never seen it before. It is the... Uh, combination of having out grump buggy and the sting wherein you drive up the cost of your opponent's keys and then take all the amber when they finally get to forge at like eight or 10 or 12. And let me tell you that felt real good. This deck's big weakness, of course, no board clear, which means that once a big board got uh, built up across from it, I was done. There's nothing yep. I could do about it. And that's how mm -hmm. Jonathan uh, pretty ably took me down. I still feel like it was a good match, and I still feel like it was well won victory. And what I really feel like I should have done is when I saw his deck and knew the weakness of my deck, I should have bid high on his because I feel like even at like you know minus one card draw, maybe even minus two card draw, I would have done okay. Right. Yeah. I'm. I kind of. I realized that situation as well. In. I kind of did a psychological thing for my fourth game. Is I saw my opponent's list. I knew it was strong. And if he got it at zero chains, he could beat my deck. So I chose it and he chose it as well. And then I just really bid it up because I knew he really wanted to play it. And uh, I knew the type of situation it was, which I'll talk about later. And that kind of helped me win the game. Um, Rick, what was your deck called? My deck was Intimidator Paul Wootgibbon. Nice. Logo, Shadows, and Untamed, which Untamed is and Logos both are two of my favorite houses. So I was really happy. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And what was the highlights for you with your deck? As one of my favorite uh, Twitch streams likes to say, I had baby cards, key cheats. Oh, nice. Yeah, I had double Night Forge in Shadows. Oof, I, I had, don't know how good that is. I had key charge in Untamed. Oh, wow. And I it happened to have my third Time Traveler. Oh, nice. Nothing like opening a Time Traveler deck in Sealed. Yep. And it was a double wild, double wild wormhole, double fetal of the researcher as well. Yeah, okay. that was a real fun logos house to see across the board. Did you ever get Nightforge off? I don't believe I did, to be honest. Okay, so uh, my deck is called Woke, the Strategist of Flight. <laughs> but Woke's spelled weird. It's like W-O-U-K-H. But we're going to say it's it's pronounced Woke. Yep. And... Um, it was honestly a really fun deck for me. It uh, it had a card that I've been just loving lately, which is uh, the ZYX Researcher. Been putting in so much work for me. And uh, this deck was Logos, Mars, and Shadows. And even though it had Shadows, it literally only had 
Ronnie and Umbra to uh, do any sort of Ember control. So I was using um, my my good friend ZYX Researcher to kind of set up Ronnie going into my discard and then playing ZYX to get it back in my archive when I could, which was fun. Uh, it also has Jar Goggle, which is like my absolute most fun card to play for me. Like I just love the shenanigans that can be done with that. Not to mention there's a bouncing death quark here, so I could be in control of when I was uh, unleashing that. I just absolutely love bouncing death quark. It, it helped me so much in my games, uh, especially because I had things like Hexbeon in here as well. So I could just literally get rid of my own Hexbeon and just go through my deck that much faster. So yeah, it was, it was a really, really fun deck to play. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was exactly the type of deck I want to play. And um, yeah, put in work. I did get to bid on chains in one of my games, and I believe uh, it was the same. It was Tom who you bid against uh, yeah. for his deck. Yeah, it was the same for me. He, he bid against my deck, yeah. Yeah, he wanted my deck, um, and so I ended up playing his, and he ended up playing mine at 13 chains, which was oh, wow. back-breaking for him. Um, he's a great player and very good at Keyforge, but I think he might have overrated ever so slightly the strength of my deck versus the strength of his deck with that kind of a handicap in play. Um, I actually got off a uh, a key abduction with his deck where I paid three amber for a key. Oh, nice. It was bonkers how good it was. It felt, I'm, I'm not going to lie, guys, it felt real good. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I just wanted to say about my deck something that i actually just realized looking at the shadows list double bad penny double gamji double ronnie double whistling darts and double nightforge 10 out of the 12 cards were were doubles yeah that's that's super consistent so it's gonna get the reps all right time for the time-honored final segment of the show the one we named the show after, we call it Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. Blake, I understand you have one for us this week. I do indeed. And this is actually kind of a different one from what we normally do, because normally we talk about a lesson that we've learned from a mistake that we've made. Well, in this case, I actually have benefited from my future self and listening to the advice. So I had a moment when I was playing in my adaptive league and I took someone's deck and they, it had a strong amber. Like I saw this, the way the deck worked, but I took it with enough chains that my opponent recognized that the deck, if it could not establish a board, it would just get wrecked by it's another like board on his side. And so he basically won the game by establishing a board and never letting me get on board either. So he just was dominating on that side with the battle line and just being able to reap out and just decimated me. And this lesson was in my mind in my fourth game when I was bidding chains against my opponent's deck because he had a great might makes right deck and it had all sorts of creatures I could activate it. Like I think he even had a way of um, getting it back. I can't remember what it was through, but I saw like there was ways that this deck could, I think it was a, a Nepenthe seed maybe, and it had like Tantadil and like it had big creatures that were going to and line Boutrams to further boost up the creature so i just saw it had the ways to make might makes right such a powerful card and also get on board to just decimate so i made him take his deck at nine chains and those two less cards made a big difference because i was able with my deck to go so fast and have card advantage all the time that i i have a lot of removal like my deck has two life for lifes has sucker punches uh it has like bonnet venoms to deal damage it has two orbitable bombardments uh, it also has the um, 
like I mentioned before, the bouncing death cork. So I had a lot of ways and standardized testing. So I had a lot of ways to just remove board. So I basically never allowed him to get those creatures out because I knew the might makes right was extremely important for his deck to succeed. So I just stopped him from being able to to pull that off at any given time. And he just, and I, it was oppressive. Like I, I kind of felt bad of how strongly I was able to maintain the game because it, it really felt like he didn't get to play much. It was just like something would happen, then be gone. Something would happen, then be gone. And it just felt like that, that feel that it's kind of was a feels bad, you know, because, but I recognized that the deck was of that nature because of my own experience from the past. And I used it to help get the chain situation where only having four cards in hand, you weren't going to be able to set up that board to make your deck do what it does. And it really, really worked like magic. All right, it's been yet another episode of Help from Future Self. You can find us at patreon.com slash HFFS podcast. You can find us on Twitter at HFFS podcast. You can find me at Scuzzy Gruen on Twitter and Instagram. Where can they find you, Blake? You can find me on Twitter is the best place at BLVD Paper Fight. That's Boulevard Paper Fight. And Rick, what about yourself? I'm on the Crucible as Rickster78, and I'm on the Twitter as the Wheeling Keyforger. Thanks a lot for sharing your Keyforge experiences. Thanks so much for listening in. And until next time, stay fortunate.